Welcome to Work It, Live It, Own It, a show that explores how to upgrade your lifestyle through life lessons, real estate, and entrepreneurship. Here's your hostess, Sakola Lair. In this particular episode, I have the opportunity to sit down with a phenomenal woman, Kimberly Jones, who just won North Carolina Teacher of the Year for the 2023-2024 school year. Now, Kim, before I even bring you on and introduce you, I've guys, I've got to tell you about this phenomenal woman. When I heard her acceptance speech, first of all, when I heard her win, I was screaming and hollering to the top of my lungs. I didn't care who heard me. If I disrupted anybody's flow that day, it didn't matter. But I would one thing that really stuck out to me about Kim Jones was she said in her acceptance speech that as an African-American woman from a single parent, rural, working class background, she knew and understood the firsthand of how the transform transformative power of education and the impact it had on hardworking educators, their ability to change lives. But she also took time, of course, to thank her family, friends, and colleagues for their unwavering support. Now, Kim, she's one of those women who also believes that education changes lives. She also embodies that in everything that she does from the classroom to her everyday conversations, whether it's about the achievement gap or making sure that students from various backgrounds and walks of life are seen and heard. So thank you, Kim. Thank you so much for being here, for being the phenomenal, outstanding woman that you are. Thank you, friend. <laughs> Thanks so much, Nicola. Like, that was that was a really, really beautiful introduction, and I I hope that I continue to be deserving of it. Thank I'm sure you. you that was That was really beautiful. Thank I'm you, sure Sakola. you are. Well, look, I've Everybody needs their flowers and roses while they're still alive, right? Facts. Facts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I have to ask you this, Kim. Mm -hmm. Did you always know that you wanted to be a teacher? I did not. <laughs> um, I did not. Um, one of the one of like the funniest moments in my life is I remember having a very specific conversation with uh, someone who has gone on to be one of my mentors. He was a teacher at my high school, but he wasn't my teacher at the time. And I'd come back from North Carolina Governor School, which was just a transformative experience for me as a student. Um, I'd come back and that like bug had had bit me mm -hmm. that I understood how important teaching was and how transformational it could be. And there was a voice in me saying, oh, that's what you should do. But I rebelled. Like I, we had probably, it was during a, a fire drill. We had probably a 15 minute conversation on why I would never be a teacher mm. because I needed to make money and I needed to be successful and I was not going to be broke. And I wanted to drive a nice car <laughs> and have a nice house and looking at the teacher parking lot at my high school, that was not going to get me there. So it was good for them. And I was very thankful, but that would never be me. I had, 
I didn't even know what the alternative was going to be, but I knew it could not be teaching. (laughs) And he rubs that in my face at every turn possible now, because, you know, I think like all of us, you can, you can make those choices and kind of run from your, your destiny, run Mm -hmm. from your passion, but it's going to catch up with you. And eventually teaching absolutely did catch up with me. Right. I completely understand. (laughs) Had no idea did not want to be an educator because even when I was in the classroom, I was told growing up, don't do it. Yes. Don't become a teacher. They don't make any money. (laughs) They're the most undervalued, underappreciated profession. At one point, it was highly revered, especially for people of color to be an educator. Absolutely. But then it was like, you're not going to make any money. How are you going to make ends meet? And it was a retired educator I was in finance Mm -hmm. and I was closing my very first loan and I saw the APR and I said this woman is elderly and I looked at her I said ma'am do you really understand what this APR is and she looked at me she said yes but then she turned around and looked back at me and she said but baby you look so unhappy why are you so unhappy and I just looked at her and I said I was just out of college, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, my career didn't turn out the way I thought it was because finance, I, I fell into finance. Uh-huh. That wasn't even in my major, but she looked at me. She said, you you want to know what profession is the most rewarding? And I said, what's that? She said, being a teacher. I was like, oh, man, no, 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 I'm not going to be a teacher. Absolutely not. No, no. And she said, but no. The reason why I say that, she said, because you find you have students who are grown up, going on with their life, and they see you. Yes. And then they turn around and go, it was because of you. Absolutely. You made a difference. It was something you said. And it be something that you totally forgot. Yes. But it's something you said, you did, and I thank you for it. It completely changed my life. Yeah. And she said, that's the best feeling in the world. She said, may not feel like it now. She said, now, there were two bad side effects. Mm-hmm. You either going to have a bad bladder or ugly legs. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're standing on your feet oh my all day long. Yes. Or they tell you, you can't use the restroom yes. because you got to watch the kids. Well, yes. you know what? I opted for the ugly legs because... <laughs> <laughs> Because I was going to relieve myself right. when I needed to. Needs must. Absolutely. <laughs> so I, I'm i glad if you told me that, yes, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I was like, okay. <laughs> no, no. no. My, <laughs> mother, my mother may have, but mm-hmm. I certainly did not. <laughs> so good. So now, you know, when I listen to your acceptance speech, you thanked three people. Mm-hmm. And I believe you had to thank them in a particular order. <laughs> Yes. So tell me, who are the most influential people in your life and how they impacted you? So the the people I had to think in my speech were Jesus and my mama in that order. And then my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of who I am as an educator, my mom absolutely is in that top three. She was my first teacher. She fostered my love for learning, which, you know, for me was outside of education as a career. Whatever I did, I knew I wanted to learn and I wanted to be constantly learning. And I admired people who taught me things, whether it was at school 
or at church or, you know, my, my grandma or my great aunts in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I loved people who had knowledge to give me. Right. And I wanted, I wanted that. I knew that whatever I did, I wanted to constantly be learning. I wanted to be expanding my mind and learning things about the world that I didn't know. So my mom was the first person to facilitate that. Mm. In terms of who I am as an educator, I would follow it up with that mentor that I was talking about. Um, his name is Derek Curran. He was an English teacher at my high school. And he very quickly saw something in me, much like my mother, that perhaps I hadn't seen in myself. And he and his wife, it was one of like the greatest blessings and and kind of the most random miracles of my life that he saw my potential and he knew that there was a great deal I could achieve on my own. But he said he and his wife just felt called to be a part of my journey. And so my senior year, I was applying to all these schools. I think I applied to nine different schools. And Wake Forest and Duke were high up on that list. And he said, Kim, I don't doubt your ability to get in. But what I can tell you is you're going to be going up against kids who've had a plethora of experiences that you just haven't been fortunate enough to have through no fault of your own. Um, you know, your your family's financial situation hasn't availed you of these things. And so to give you a stronger foundation, my wife and I want to take you to Europe. Wow. And for no other reason than when you send in your scholarship interviews, you can talk about foreign travel. When they're talking about going to Switzerland, you can talk about your Christmas in London and you can talk about going to Stonehenge or to, you know, ta- the Tower Bridge or Buckingham Palace. You can talk about, you know, having a European experience and it will keep you on even footing with these other students that you might be competing against with. Um And he understood that there are, you know, both hard skills, you know, our transcripts, and then there's those soft skills and life experiences that make you a, you know, that make you a stronger candidate. And he and his wife wanted me to have that. So um, Derek and Patty would definitely be number two. And lastly, once I got to Wake, Mm -hmm. I had the most incredible advisor in my graduate program, Dr. Joseph Milner. He was actually the director at Governor School the summer I decided I might maybe <laughs> want to be a teacher. Right. Um, and he he knew that Duke was my number one school. I had already decided I was going to be a Blue Devil. There was no other school. And he was like, Kim, I, I think you would, Duke is a fine institution. I think you would do exceptionally well there. But I think Wake Forest could use great minds like yours. Hmm. And it was the first time that someone had, outside of my transcript, the man didn't know my grades, he didn't know my GPA, he saw something unique in how I saw the world, and it validated a part of me that I didn't even know existed or that needed validation, that part that said, you, you as you are, who you are, where you're from, that gives you a different take on the world that other people need to hear. Mm. And you, because of where you're from and who you are and how you were raised, 
coming from a working class background, being, you know, the product of a single family home, being from a working class background, being from a rural place, it gives you a different perspective on the world that deserves and needs to be part of a thought community. Mm. And it unlocked something in me that I didn't even know was there, that that my voice was unique and that my words had power and that they added to spaces outside of my skill level or skill ability. He, he unlocked that part of me and he's the reason that I ended up going to Wake Forest Mm -hmm. and he ended up being my, my grad school advisor. And he fostered that same thing in me as a teacher that I had a unique perspective to bring to a classroom and that kids and schools would benefit from it. And you know what those first years are like when you start teaching. You honestly know nothing. Right. You are a day ahead of the kids at best. <laughs> but in the midst of that, I just had this confidence mm-hmm. that, no, I belong here. It might be tough. Mm-hmm. I might feel overwhelmed. But if that man believes that I have something to give these kids, I've got something to give these kids. And so you put your nose to the grindstone and you work it out. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you develop your classroom management, you learn your curriculum and you stick it out because you know within yourself, I am a teacher. The kids may mm-hmm. not recognize it yet, right. but I am a teacher. I need to be in this room and I got to do whatever it takes mm-hmm. to stay here. I love the fact that you embodied that. There were so many valuable life lessons. One that I heard was you had so many people around you mm-hmm. to speak life yes. into you. Absolutely. To Absolutely. encourage you in those most pivotal moments in your life. Yes. When you're developing and you're learning to become an adult and you're you're learning and you're ter- becoming the person or the adult that you want to be or you're aspiring to be. So I love that. I love the fact that you had the opportunity to go to Europe with yes. a teacher. Yes. And I also know by working with you that you've been able to turn around and do that for yes. students here yes. as yes. well. You've been able to do that for students in your school, mm-hmm. taking them to trips in Europe from North Carolina. I know when I've taken kids to Washington, yes. D.C., and just, just to see their eyes light up and go, I've never been to Washington, D.C. And we take for granted. Yes. Just because we're here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. that kids have traveled. And they've seen the monuments Mm-mm. on pictures and yes. movies, but they've never seen it in real life. No, no. And, and I, it is, it is, it's completely different. It's completely different. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something powerful that's standing next to these kind of architectural wonders mm-hmm. does for a kid. Yes. And and not only in, you know, kind of helping us sort of understand our scope, that here's this thing that's been here hundreds of years. When I was standing at Stonehenge, like, we don't know how it got here. <laughs> we don't know who did it. But it's lasted, you know, centuries at this point. There's something awe-inspiring in that. But to know, you know, even in D.C., to know that like human hands made this Mm -hmm. unlocks something in kids about their potential as a human being. And then just the exposure to a different place, a different culture, a different way of being. There is, again, something I think it unlocks in kids that 
no matter, you know, how well read they are, Mm -hmm. there's no, there's no comparison to being in that place and, and seeing it for yourself. So I, I am, I've been like, it's been one of the great joys of my career to be able to share that. Mm-hmm. with other kids, with other students. Definitely, definitely. Now, you mentioned choosing between two universities. Yes. Two pretty prestigious universities in the Absolutely. U.S. Did you ever feel at a time that there were people who underestimated you, who had misconceptions of you and how you dealt with that? Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I... I, it, it's kind of odd that you say that because one of the things that I've internalized at this point, I turn 40 next Thursday. And one of the things that has come to me over and over again is how often I was praised as an exception mm. to my culture, to my background to my SES. Um, I was praised because I was succeeding despite my identities. Mm -hmm. And at almost 40, I realized I am exceptional. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I am not an exception. Oh, say that one more time. I am exceptional, Mm -hmm. but I am not an exception. There are thousands of Kim Joneses sitting in rural classrooms right now with the same talents and potential and skills and capabilities that I had, but they are not seen by educators in their community. Mm -hmm. They are not, their gifts are not developed and fostered the way that mine were. And it's, not just sad or heartbreaking for them, it's heartbreaking for our culture and our society at large because we are losing out on infinite talents Mm -hmm. when we do not recognize the genius that lives in students outside the norm. And what many of those people who were calling me an exception didn't realize is that I was not great despite my culture or despite mm-hmm. my gender, or despite my race. I was great because of those things. Mm-hmm. And until we allow the students in our scope, be that our classrooms or our communities, to cultivate those talents and to see their identities as assets, we're going to lose out on more Kim Joneses, on more Sokolas, on more, you know, thought leaders and business leaders and culture leaders. I I have never taken my gifts or my rewards for granted. I own and am confident in the skills that I have, but I in no way think that I am singular. So yes, again, I know I'm exceptional. (laughs) I've put in the work to be exceptional, but I'm nobody's exception. Very good. I love that. You are exceptional, but you are not the exception. No. And you're absolutely right. I, I tell students all the time, ones that I've taught in the past, even ones, teenagers that I encounter now, You are not your GPA. No. You are so much more than your GPA. 
And you're going to find your place in society, whether it's at a university, tech school, whatever you decide to do. People who really value you and see your worth, they're going to look past the statistics. Yes. Yes. They're going to look past the numbers on paper. And I love the fact that your educators actually saw past that, didn't know your Mm -hmm. GPA. Mm Mm-hmm. Your, you said your college yes, mentor, yes, absolutely. your advisor. He didn't even know what your GPA was, but he saw the talent and the potential in you. So that allows us to kind of shift a yeah, little bit absolutely. Uh, into switching gears as far as education, getting a little bit more delving into the education aspect. Now, you and I have had several conversations mm-hmm. as far as equity, oh, inclusion, gosh, yeah. diversity, the achievement gap absolutely. before. But what do you think is one of the most common myths about education, particularly in the teaching profession, that a lot of people who have no idea, never been an educator, haven't even delved into that realm. What are some of the miscommunicate or myths about? I, I think right now there's a lot. <laughs> um, you know, right now we are as educators in the midst of a kind of culture war that we didn't sign up for. Mm. Um, I think schools have become a target for these kind of fundamental and moral debates that are happening in in the general public. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is a myth that, you know, teachers have an agenda to indoctrinate children. <laughs> I promise you, Sakola, and I know you know firsthand, if I could indoctrinate any children, they would all be on time every day. They would all have their homework. They would do the reading I signed. If I had the power to indoctrinate a child, they, they would have far more kind of practical life skills mm-hmm. that we are constantly having to battle. Uh, I wouldn't have to say put your cell phone away if I could indoctrinate a child. Right. What we do have the power to do is to influence thinking and thinking skills. And so... When I unlock critical thinking skills, I never tell my kids what to apply it to. They then take those skills into the world. And if they start asking difficult questions of people in power, that is not an agenda I've set forth. That's a set of skills I've unlocked that they are authentically visiting upon the world around them. So when we talk about, you know, societies and cultures, when we read about injustice, And then they look in the world and see injustice and they start asking questions. It may seem like I told them to go ask those questions. No, we're reading about ancient Greece. Mm -hmm. We're reading about gender issues in Antigone. If they turn on the TV and see those same gender issues in the 21st century news, so be it. They may ask difficult questions about why women are treated this way or men are perceived that way. That's not an agenda of teachers. That's a skill we've unlocked in kids. That's my duty. My duty is to empower them with the skills they need to navigate the world. And so if they see problematic aspects of society and they start asking hard questions or demanding truth from power, 
so be it. That wasn't my goal. My goal was to instruct them in these skills. The gift of education is that it doesn't stop in my classroom and they are going to ask those right. questions. So I would say that's probably myth number one that, you know, teachers are, have some personal agenda. Yes. Or some <laughs> secret agenda um, that we're trying to visit upon kids. No, we want to empower kids to build the world that they want to live in. And it may look different than that of previous generations, but The only thing I'm giving you are the reading, writing, literacy, and speaking and listening skills to navigate the world you encounter. Um, The other thing I would say, I think I would say, and and sometimes, you know, I think teachers, we, because we, we have this innate belief about the value of education and we understand the sacrifices that we make, I'll be honest. Um, you know, every time I see one of those apples or the mugs that say teachers don't teach for the income, they teach for the outcome. I teach to pay my bills. Right. I like, I love, I, we got 1600 kids in this school and I love them. I show up for them, but that don't pay my mortgage. Right. That don't pay my car bill. Like, no, teachers, teachers teach for an income and it deserves to be one commensurate with their skills and professionalism and demands of the job. And I think a common myth that is often used to perhaps deflect from conversations around teacher pay is the moral impetus and the emotional uh, investment that teachers make. And, you know, it's kind of a bait and switch. We start talking about teacher pay or we start talking about compensation and suddenly the conversation becomes, but what about the children? And we do this for the children. Well, we don't say that to doctors or nurses. Like we show up at the ER when we're hurt and they have taken a Hippocratic oath to help us, you know, be healthy, but nobody expects them to do that for free. Um, and so I think that's a, that's another that's another myth that, you know, while grounded in certain truths about our profession that, no, we will never be compensated for all that we do for kids. Mm-hmm. No, it would be impossible. But we do need to have meaningful conversations, data-driven conversations about teacher compensation. Yes, I agree. Totally agree. <laughs> and I I would hear that comment all the time, well, you only work 10 months out of the year. Uh, no, you're <laughs> Because a lot of times they'll call you back in the summer for absolutely, meetings. Absolutely, absolutely. Or the curriculum has changed yes! by people who have not been in the classroom absolutely. for a very long time. And then you're supposed to take yes. whatever they created yes. and try and make sense of it and think, okay, how can I logically... Yes. Put this into lessons because they're not even providing lessons nope. or insight. They're just saying, here's the new curriculum. Yes. And you have this many weeks to try and shift it and make sense out of it so you can begin teaching the next school year. Because I've sat in on meetings with English teachers, mm-hmm. social studies teachers in the past, and I'm going, I don't see how in the world yes. this is going to make sense. And they pay you a nominal fee Mm -hmm. during the summer if you get paid at all. Because some districts don't even pay you. They They just tell you you have to come. Exactly. So your work is 12 months out of the year. It's not 10 months. And one of my favorite was one time when I was in a classroom, a colleague of mine said a a parent had asked to see their lesson plans. And I said, you don't ask a doctor to see their credentials. No. 
Do you ask them to see their doctor's notes? No. No, because my lessons are going di- to differentiate Absolutely. based on my clientele, Absolutely. my students, whether they're visual, audio, tactile, whatever. Exactly. So, no, I'm not going to show you my lessons, but you're happy to go to the state and look at the, the standards. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. yeah, I can tell you we're covering RL 10.2 and 10.4 <laughs> this week. <laughs> and I'm happy to give you the unpacking documents. Right. But it's going to, I mean, like you just said, my second period and my fourth period look different every day. Mm-hmm. My fifth period and my seventh period look different every day because I have different learners in that classroom. So the same outcomes are met through different methods. Right. Absolutely. So we're not here to bash people who no. don't have an understanding or concept. And for because there are a lot of parents and a lot of people in the community that do understand and do value education. And Absolutely. What, what educators do. And so we thank you for that. But for those who have no clue or concept yes. to what the inner workings are as an educator, I used to tell parents when they would come in, I say, I know you love Johnny and Sally. Mm hmm. But how many more Johnny and Sally's do you have at the house? Mm-hmm. Oh, I may have one. Or that's it. Or I may have three or four. I'll say, okay, well, I've got 30 of your Johnny's and Sally's mm-hmm. all in one. Now, you take that one child, that mm-hmm. one beloved child you have. Now, multiply that by 30. Mm-hmm. And that's who I've got to teach, if not more, mm-hmm. within a 40 to 45-minute window. Yeah. And here's the thing. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, once... Once parents get involved, Mm -hmm. once parents are in communication with teachers, I honestly don't know a teacher that's not. I have parents all the time go, hey, Ms. Jones, can you tell me the next book you Mm -hmm. all are reading? I want to read it with my student. Or can you tell me the book after next so I can have it read and I can support what they're doing? And I give my parents novel lists. I give them access to the supplemental text. Mm -hmm. I give them access to here are the grammar lessons we're going to cover because every bit that they can support their student outside of my class, every conversation, I put it on the handout that I give them at the start of the year. I talk about simple ways you can support your student in Ms. Jones's class. And one of them is literally asking them to talk about what they're learning. Mm -hmm. And of course, with teenagers, they're always going to say nothing. (laughs) I have two teenagers at my house right now, and I ask them, hey, what are y'all studying in school? I mean, nothing. I mean, we're reading a book. Well, what's about, you know, it's just a book. But when I press... They'll they'll tell me and I'll or I'll ask them specific questions like, well, what character do you like? Why do you like that character? Mm -hmm. And granted, I'm an English teacher, so I know some of those probing questions to ask. But even for parents to ask simple questions like that can truly change how a student sees the significance of what they're learning, because it's easy for it to feel siloed. Mm -hmm. But I only think about English in this class. I only think about this book when I'm in front of this teacher. But to hear people value what I'm doing outside of class, Mm -hmm. especially their parents, is so powerful for students. Right. It does take a village. And it's not just the village of educators, but it's the community, it's the parents. Absolutely. Everyone involved to be invested in a child's future. Absolutely. So how do you feel about winning Teacher of the Year? Tell me about that. It It is hands down like the greatest accomplishment of my professional career outside of the success of my students. Nothing beats graduation day. You right. know, when they, the way we we do our, our faculty gauntlet, but 
aside from seeing my students succeed and and watching them cross the stage, it has truly been one of the most amazing moments in my professional life. I share the honor with the nine regional teachers of the year. And I know the incredible community of educators um, that make up that group. And so to be named teacher of the year amongst such stellar educators was, it was, it was beyond amazing. It was one of the, truly one of the greatest blessings of my life. And to know that I'm walking in the footsteps of People like Miss Gina Floyd, who was the 2021 Teacher of the Year from Chapel Hill Carver City Schools, mm-hmm. that, you know, that I am upholding not only my own name and family, but that I'm representing the community that we work in has truly been amazing. Amazing. And to now get to to share the values that I think are important and my personal message about culturally inclusive and responsive teaching and diversifying the curric- uh, the diversifying the cohort of teachers in North Carolina right now 51% of our students are students of color mm-hmm. but just a little bit over 20% of our educators are educators of color and we've got to do better are you talking about in your state? In, yeah, in, in North Carolina. Okay. In North Carolina mm-hmm. right now, 51% of our students, of the 1.5 million students we have in North Carolina, roughly 51% of those are students of color. Um, we have a little over 90,000, something like 93,000 teachers mm-hmm. in North Carolina, but only about 20 to 23% of us are educators of color. And a teacher of any background, absolutely can form amazing, life-changing relationships with students. But it is not without merit or precedent that students deserve to see themselves and their identities positive reflected as part of their educational experience. The number of students who go K through 12 and never see an educator that looks like them that comes from their community, that shares their identity, mm-hmm. it's problematic because that kind of affirmation is critical for children. To see people that look like you, believe like you, speak like you, live like you as productive and influential adults, it's really hard for kids to be what they can't see. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a benefit for students of color and for white students to benefit from as diverse a population of teachers as they possibly can, because that's the world they're going to live in. Right. We live in an ever-diversifying world, and our students deserve to be best prepared for it by having the gift of diversity amongst their teachers. Well said. Thanks. I love that. Thanks, Ryan. I love that. <laughs> so now... That you have achieved such yes. a high honor, yes, ma'am. ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> what is next year going to look like for you? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, I'm super excited. Um, there are some kind of hard and fast uh, responsibilities that I'll have. I will sit on the State Board of Education for the next two years as an advisory member. Mm-hmm. 
that's a non-voting position, but incredibly important because I think those leaders need access to um, classroom teachers. They need access to, to knowing this is what these guidelines will mean in a real classroom. Um, there are a couple of other state commissions that I'll have the privilege to sit on um, in voting capacities and be able to bring teacher voice to that. And the biggest, uh, the biggest part of my year and the part I'm most looking forward to is getting into the over 100 school districts across our state, wow. visiting, observing, um, amplifying the great work that's happening there and also getting a chance to to visit and talk and share, you know, my platform and share my experience and hopefully inspire the incredible teachers that are doing the work every day to to keep it up and to continue because there is again, you know, despite the kind of cultural conversation and clashes that are having around education. I show up every day and work with some of the most committed educators I've ever encountered. And I know that is happening in public schools throughout our state. And those voices, that work deserves to be amplified. Well said. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now we're going to end this conversation with some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I am. Okay. So now, if someone wrote a book about your life, what would the title be? It would be called That Part. <laughs> that Part. <laughs> you know, you know, because I, as my friend, you know constantly, I'm hearing people say, like, incredibly truthful things. Mm-hmm. And my response is that part. Like, that's what we need to focus on. That part, And yes. so if someone was writing, that. yes, it would be that part with okay. Kim Jim. And then it would be a collection of the, that part moment? Yes, of like essential truths that I have come to know about the world. It would be that part. Okay, I like it. I like it. <laughs> and what movies would you recommend to my audience that can help them work at Live It, Own It in their everyday lives? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, I'm going to go Waiting to Exhale. Because like I said, I'm about to turn 40 and I'm coming into my kind of full sense of self and womanhood. Daughters of the Dust, which is an incredible movie about Gullah Geechee culture and these multiple generations of women. Um, I'm going to go on the outside and say Paris is Burning, which is uh, a documentary from the 80s about ballroom culture. uh, And it focuses on uh, queer women of color and their experience uh, and ball culture, which I think has just given so much to society as a whole. Um, And I think representation matters. And lastly, probably coming uh the color purple because that was one of the first films that my mom had me watch as a young woman about a woman kind of coming into her own despite um you know the many obstacles yes, that she faced yes. numerous i cried like the first 10 minutes my brother looked at me and was like why are you bawling because I felt it. You 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 see yourself. Yes, I felt that. <laughs> you see yourself. And I was a teenager. I was just bawling. Yes. I don't know why I was bawling, but it was like something just hit me. God to the was core. trying to tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> and one last question yes. to wrap it up. What words of wisdom do you have for your fellow and aspiring educators? I would say. 
that even when it doesn't feel like it, what we do is a gift that whether whatever subject matter we're teaching, that it may not be, to your point, it may not ever be an objective that you teach, but there is something that you are going to say and there's something that you're going to speak into the life of a child that affirms them, that helps them to see themselves in a way that perhaps they never could or had never thought to. And that is the gift of what we do. Mm. That is the gift of what we do. Well said. That, that sent chills right there. I don't. There's really nothing else that needs to be said after that. And I like the fact, because even though you may not be a teacher in a classroom, we are all educators. Absolutely. I don't care what walk of life you are in, what career profession you are in. You are an educator. You can be a mentor. Absolutely, Sakola. Absolutely. Help recognize those gifts and help people bring out those gifts into reality. And be that person. Yes. Be that person for somebody. Well, thank you so much, Kim, for sitting down and talking with me today. You're so welcome. And for my audience, this is a wrap on this episode of Work It, Live It, Own It. Don't forget to do it in your everyday life. Take care.